Are you ready for some word today? Let me meet you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today we proceed a little deeper into the creed with the line on the third day he rose again. If you're look if you were looking at the creed laid out essentially line for line you will notice that you've hit the you've hit the halfway point. You've also really hit the descent in the creed. And 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 I'll I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, the downward spiral and then we're going to take off like like landing a plane and coasting and then heading back into altitude. And that's by design because in some ways that's life. It's cyclical. Peaks and valleys. Good days and bad days. But, the, but it's also a metaphor for the journey of your life where things are great in seasons and then there are bad seasons. And it doesn't affect how saved you are, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't change your right standing with God, but it is a part of your, your journey. And so in microcosm, we get a little bit of that in the creed. I moved Anastasis forward today for a reason. I want you to focus on a resurrected Jesus, okay? The icon Anastasis is the Greek word for resurrected or resurrection, before you leave today, I'd encourage you to take a look at that icon because it says so much gospel in one picture. It is, it is Jesus pulling Adam and Eve from the grave, standing on the gates of hell, having hogtied the devil or death beneath the cross. I love that image of death has been defeated. Christ is victorious and the grave cannot hold him. I bring that to the center because it's the center of the creed. And being in the center of the creed, that means everything else moves out from it. If, if I talk to you about we are not a place that specializes in what we believe, we are a place that wants to specialize in whom we believe, the centerpiece about in whom we believe is the resurrected Christ. Amen. Alive and well on planet earth. Alive and well in the cosmos. He the bringer of the kingdom. And the centerpiece of everything in whom we believe is that Jesus is not just a historical figure. And he didn't just die, but that he raised from the dead. This is the part of me. I will compromise a lot of things around what you believe versus what I believe. Okay? If we get into an argument or a discussion and I might just back off and be like, oh, well, you know. That's your opinion and my opinion. Hey, you know, you go about your business. I'll go about mine. We can still be friends. The thing that I cannot lay down is I believe Jesus is alive. I believe in a resurrected Christ. For me, Christianity is more than just principles and ideas. It's following a living man. And so I, I double down on this one today. <laughs> as much as any spot that I could preach as much as anything I can say about in whom I believe, it's the resurrected Christ. It's the Jesus that is alive. Now, I can talk Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about a resurrected Jesus because they all specialize in a resurrection. When we get to Easter, we'll probably use all of them because you got a little bit of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John to kind of tell you about the stone being rolled away. Today's not about the physicality. Let's save that for Easter. 
It's not about an empty tomb, stone rolled away, angel inside, what it meant on Sunday morning. That's great for the season. We'll need it. We'll do it. No way we skip that. But I don't want to be there today on resurrection. Today I want to put it inside the greater theology of the creed. And to do that, I want to go to maybe the greatest theologian that the New Testament gives us, and that's the Apostle Paul. And Paul gives what has to be the climactic message about resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 12, and I want to read down through 17, and then we'll move a little deeper into the chapter. And I don't, I'm not trying to rush the reading today, but I'm going to just, to the best of my ability, read it straight through. I say to the best of my ability because that's hard for me to do. I'm pause and talk, pause and talk, pause and talk. So I'm going to try to read through, and we're going to talk about resurrection. We're going to let this be our backdrop text today, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. I'm very tempted to stay right there and preach for a long time, but I I just want you to think about what Paul just said. 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it's true, that the dead are not raised. Because if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And here comes the punch. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So Paul lands hard on what has to be his most important resurrection verse. If this is fake, if Jesus is dead like any other guy, forget talking about victory. Forget talking about forgiveness of sins or your sins have been washed away because if all he did was die but he didn't resurrect, then he stepped into death the way you will. Too bad. Everybody dies. Right? I mean, God made himself a man, died so that he could say, hey, I died too. Because without a resurrection, sin wins. I mean... If the wages of sin is death, and Jesus stepped into death, He was stepping into my sin, right? Your sin, right? That's what we talk about. We go, Jesus died for my sins. So if Jesus steps into death, then He's stepping into sin. And if He just stays dead, sin wins. At the end of the day, what happens is everybody dies, and then sin does really conquer the human condition. Sin is the reason we all just lay there. Because it wins, it, it crushes us, it, it sucks the life out of you while you're alive, and then it sucks the literal life out of you. And Paul goes, you better hope not. You better believe that there's something else, and if there is, it has to be resurrection, and if it's resurrection, then there's hope, and then we jump to 20. But in fact, I like how Paul decides to go ahead and answer the argument. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, 
The resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. And here comes the next punch. Verse 23. Verse 22, sorry. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. I want to double down on that last one. So everybody died in Adam. Therefore, everybody gets made alive in Christ. If Paul means what it sounds like Paul means, then you can infer two things. Number one, everybody's going to die. Well, that's not a long shot. 100% track record, right? Everybody dies. Paul nailed that one. Well, if Paul nailed that one, maybe he nailed the next one. If everybody dies in Adam, then everybody raises in Christ. Which means that, and Revelation confirms that both the just and the unjust are eventually raised up to stand in front of God. So Revelation agrees with 1 Corinthians 15.22 that in Christ, everybody's coming out of the grave. Now, I'm not here today to make the argument. We'll save that for another time as to what that might look like someday when everybody comes out of the grave. But I want to put that idea... That resurrection idea inside of the creed. Because it's the centerpiece of my faith and it's the centerpiece of the creed. In fact, resurrection, I'll be so bold as to say, resurrection is everything. It is everything to who we are. Without the resurrection, we have a principle-filled Jesus. Jesus is a good teacher. Great man. History is filled with great men. Filled with good teachers. Who say good things and live it out. We could, we could fill books with people who say great things and live it out. Jesus would be one of many. And so without a resurrection, our principles and our teaching don't mean anything. Our church attendance and our study and our discipline, even our loving our neighbor as ourselves, they're great, but they're not enough because we're all just going to die anyway. <laughs> right? I mean, you're on your way there. You live a pretty good life and you do your best, but you're all just going to die anyway. But the resurrection's a game changer. The resurrection means it is not the end. The resurrection gives hope that if the sun goes down, it comes up somewhere else. The resurrection means that I am not at the end of the line. That loving you at the self-sacrifice of my own self does not mean that I'm just simply giving it all away on my way to the grave. It means that I am living the life of the resurrected reality as if it were already mine. That now I'm not loving you on my way to death. I'm loving you from the place of my death, which looks just like Jesus. And that is a game changer. That means resurrection becomes the centerpiece of our faith and it becomes the centerpiece of the creed. I meant what I said when if you just lay it out, it's right there in the middle and you got most of the creed above it and most of the creed below it. But if you read it out, think about it. Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord He's, he's here. God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin. We're going earthward. Notice? He's conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried and descended to the dead. Creed's on a slope downward. It's God bringing Himself to humanity. It's the, it's the Creator and the Son acquiescing to the human experience. What Paul said, not believing it worth grasping hold of His divinity, Jesus lets go of it 
so that he can become like us. He can descend the ladder towards humanity. And then the creed turns on one pivotal moment. And on the third day, he rose again. And he ascended into heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. But when he comes again, he's not descending down into the human experience. He's coming down as the Creator Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. And so what was a slide toward death is a metaphor for your slide towards death. My slide towards death. Turns on a dime, resurrected, ascended, seated. That's why Paul will tell the Ephesian church that they are seated with him in heavenly places because what is happening is I have not yet recognized the fullness of my resurrection. This body's still here. It's going to go away and it's going into the grave and it will be resurrected, but I'm tasting my resurrection now in the life of God found in knowing Jesus. So the centerpiece of our faith is that on the third day he rose again. Now don't let third day throw you off. Third day was a timing phrase in the creed to show you that it was following the cross. Every year when we get to Easter, someone tries to put out a new YouTube video on why we're doing it wrong. Everybody's always putting out YouTube videos on why everybody's doing stuff wrong anyway. That's, that's a product of the modern environment. Somebody always knows when you're doing something wrong, so they're going to put out a video on why you're wrong. So we always put out a video on why... He didn't die on a Friday. He died on a Thursday. Or he died on Wednesday night or whatever. And we're just we're confused because we don't understand the culture in which they lived. It, to say three days was to say parts of three days. So Friday and Saturday and Sunday. What's thrown us off is that Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. But Jesus is simply using allegorical language that was popular in the days of Jonah. Three days and three nights meant really dead. I wrote a whole chapter on this in my last book, Greater Than Jonah. Three days and three nights was Jesus reflecting himself as going down into the depths so that he would come out the other side. By saying three days and three nights, he was referencing Jonah so that his audience would know Jonah went into a whale, but he also got spit up. By saying, I'll go three days and three nights, Jesus was predicting, prophesying his resurrection. Just as Jonah got swallowed and released, I will get swallowed and released. So don't lose your minds when I die because I'm coming back. That's what he's trying to say by referencing the Jonah story. So don't get trapped in the third day mentality. Instead, consider the resurrection. I'm going to use an anachronistic word because they didn't have dynamite and bombs. <laughs> but I'm going to use it anyway. The resurrection was a bomb. Jesus gets planted into the death of humanity and then tick, 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 tick for three days. And Jesus explodes out the other side in a newness of life. What happens is he's swallowed up of the same death that all of you will be swallowed up, that all of, I, that all of this man is swallowed up of. And it looks as if death wins again. Death beats everybody. And then tick, 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 Jesus awaiting resurrection. This is the interesting thing is that up until like the 9th or 10th century, Christian art, the resurrection looked like this. Je Jesus came out of the, for about the first six or 700 years of Christian art, Jesus came exploding out of the dead and defeated the devil. And he dragged humanity with him. 
And then right around the Middle Ages, Christian art shifted. It was a real dark world. And in a dark world, death sort of took over the message. And the Middle Ages art shifts to the cross from, instead of the resurrection. And most of our Middle Age like art all the way up into the Renaissance is Jesus hanging on crosses. It's, it's focused on his death, not on his resurrection. I find it curious that we've shifted the focus of the gospel message depending on what the world's doing around us. And I guess that's okay because we have the whole gospel message. So sometimes we focus on the cross because it's, we're dead. Like the world's dying around us and we go, well, he died, so I die. And, and other times we focus on, but I do find that curious that out of the sort of, out of the blocks, the church, out of the gates, sort of looked at the resurrection as an explosion out of death, Christ victorious over the, the sin, the flesh, and the devil. That the resurrection was a, a marker that he had done everything he needed to do at the cross, that he did not need to do it again. And this is why the early church celebrated on Sunday, because they honored the resurrection as a new day. Most of the early church fasted on Friday. They fasted as an honor to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross. They don't feed him. I'm not going to eat. Most of them rested on Saturday because most of the early church was Jewish. They were Jews who had found their Messiah. So they were raised with a Saturday Sabbath. So they rested all day Saturday because they legally didn't even have to go to work. But they had to work on Sunday. Sunday was the first work day of the week. But their Lord came out of the grave on Sunday. And the gospel said that he came out early in the morning before the sun came up. So most of the church of the first two centuries met early on Sunday morning before the sun came up. How would you like that? Sunrise service every week. They shared breakfast together. They broke their nightly fast. They broke the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. They participated together in joy. And then they went to work. They started their work week. It would be the equivalent for us of having church every Monday morning. At 5 a.m., we meet, we celebrate, we sing, we preach, we eat breakfast, we share communion, and everybody goes to work. That was sort of how the early church did that. But they did it from a spiritual mentality, not that they were entering, and this, this fascinates me. They did it not that they were entering a new work week day one. They did it in that they were entering a new work week day eight. Because for all of Jewish history, the rabbis taught that someday the cycle of, of work six days and rest on the seventh, work six days, rest on the seventh, work six days, on and on. That cycle, they said, is coming to an end. The Messiah is going to come, put an end to the six, one, six, one, six, one, and start us over on a new day called the eighth day. He's going to bring his kingdom and give us an eighth day and he'll be our perpetual rest. Judaism is still looking for him. I think about half of Christianity is still looking for him. We're supposed to have found that eighth day in Jesus, the resurrected reality. Because Jesus has put an end to work and then rest. Because the beauty of the resurrection is that the resurrection followed the Sabbath. Stay with me. Work, 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 work. Rest when you're done. Work, 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 work. Rest when you're done. 
Jesus comes out of the grave right there at the end of the rest when you're done and goes to work. Because under the new covenant, it is rest, go to work. Not work and then rest. How many of you had some form of Christianity that was work, 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 work. Someday you'll die, you get to go to heaven and be at rest with Jesus. Right? Some kind of form of do, 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 and then you get to take a break. You were saved for better than that. You were saved by one who died as the old you, went into the grave and exploded out the other side as a new man to say, from the place of your death, from the place of entering into his death, in other words, from the place of rest, come in and rest. Let me be your salvation and out of me will flow rivers of living water. Out of me will flow the direction for your life, he says. I'll show you where to go, what to do next. We'll make streams in the desert out of that place of eternal life. The first day became the eighth day. When you look at, even today, when you look in the Orthodox Church, maybe even some Catholic churches, they have a baptismal font at the front of the building, and it's almost always an octagon. You know why it's an octagon? Eighth day. Because when you go down into the waters of baptism and you come out, you enter the eighth day. You come out of the place of rest into the place of productivity. You go in as the old you, you come out as the new you. I think that's an awesome image. You step into the fullness of what resurrection means. The resurrection is so important because if we will focus on it, if we will pay attention to it, it can even change how we see the rest of the world. Okay. Most people that I run into now are pessimistic about the world. World's going to hell in a handbasket. Ain't as good as it used to be. Boy, you should have saw what it was like, you know, when I was a kid. It's always better, by the way, when you were a kid. And my theory on that is it's because you were a kid. (laughs) And the world was pretty easy when you were a kid. And you didn't have any responsibilities. You didn't even wipe your own nose. You know, like you just pretty much just ran through life doing whatever. And it's pretty hard to convince someone that that was the worst time to be alive. You know, that was a great time to be alive when I was a kid. Okay, great. Granted, when you were a kid, that was the best time to be alive. But outside of that, (laughs) outside of that moment, most of the world pessimistic. Everybody, it's all going to hell and and this is all falling apart in the world. I think if we get a true resurrection revelation... We can flip the switch from pessimism to optimism, and here's how. And I'm not trying to give you a mental trick, okay? I just want to lay this out as a spiritual reality for me. Maybe it can be a spiritual reality for you. If you're standing outside of a labor and delivery ward this morning at your local hospital, and you stand outside the door, there's a woman in there screaming bloody murder. She's in birth pain that very much sounds like the death throes. You might be convinced that she's dying because she might be convinced that she's dying. And if you didn't know there was something being birthed in there, you might go down the hall and say, it doesn't sound good because it doesn't sound good. There's blood and sweat and people are screaming and I don't know, but I, I don't have a good feeling. And then you hear silence and a baby cries. And they bring that baby out and you realize she wasn't dying. 
She was having a child. The resurrection is the moment when everything changes. The world died the night before the resurrection. The world that used to be died so that a new world could be born. So I think what you see in the world, if you see it through the lens of Jesus is alive, then maybe what's going on in the world are birth pains. People shaking off what they were to pick up what they could be. But if the resurrection is something still in your future that Jesus really only resurrected for himself, but that didn't really change anything, then I can see being pessimistic. Maybe the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, if Jesus isn't alive, we're all going to die anyway. So maybe we are on a downward spiral. But if Jesus is alive, do you realize what you really believe when you say you believe Jesus is alive? If Jesus is alive, this can't end badly. Are you with me? If Jesus is actually alive, it can't go to hell in a handbasket. He's already been to hell. He's already stepped into the darkness of death and he stepped out the other side and all of the screaming and the crying is just birth pains of the beauty of who he is and the kingdom of God and that can take you from pessimism to optimism. We are resurrection people. We are called to live out his life on the earth in a world screaming and crying and dying and yet we bring hope that there is a better tomorrow. Garden Church, you are not called to change this town. You are not called to change this city. You are not called to change this state. You are not called to change this country. We're putting too much on Christians to go, it's your call to change the world. You're 2,000 years too late. Jesus has already done that. What you are called to do is to be the part of the world already changed by Jesus. Amen. That's your call. When they walk into the garden, they're stepping into a space already changed by Jesus. We're simply living out that transformation the best we know how. We're not perfect at it. We're not great at it even. We're going to have baggage and problems and we're going to mess up. But our call is not to change this city. Our call is to show this city a peace that's already been changed. Christianity is not an invitation, come follow us and change the world. It's come join the one who already has. Come and follow the one who's already begun the process of transformation. This is the expression of our new creation reality. It's living out that reality that he's already made a change. That old world died in the night. And a new world was born in Christ. I don't think we really believe it. I don't want to be insulting. I'm going to say we, because I don't want to throw a rock. And, I, and I'm, the big, I'm the only one. I only know me. I don't really know you. Okay, So I'll say we, and I'll throw me in there. And really, I mean me. Okay? Um, I don't know if we really believe this. Because we keep saying stuff like this. Okay? We keep saying stuff like, you know, I think God's raising up so-and-so to lead this nation. Which is a very Old Testament way of approaching God. 
before God had shown up as a man, died as a man, and resurrected as a new man. Before God brought His kingdom, all there was was the kingdoms of the earth. The kingdom of God was not yet here. It was coming. The, the, the Son of Man was someday going to ride on the clouds and stand before the Ancient of Days, and you could guarantee that God was going to have a kingdom on the earth. And then came Jesus. And Jesus goes, repent. Kingdom's here. So I ask you, Garden, when did the kingdom show up? 2,000 years ago, when Jesus showed up, there's the kingdom of God in the flesh, steps into the death of humanity so that in Adam everyone dies, so that in Christ everybody can be made alive. So stop approaching the world's politics and the world's kingdom as if Jesus hasn't shown up. God is not raising up men to be kings and presidents. He already has the leader of his kingdom. Everything else is the politics of the world. I didn't say you don't vote. I didn't say you can't have a voice. It's not your kingdom, though. You, God's not raising up individuals. He's raised up the man, Christ Jesus. Where do you raise him up from? From the dead. <laughs> the resurrection is the final raising up that God will do in the earth. So yes, under the old covenant, man, you could go read your chronicles. Go read your last book of the Old Testament. That's what the last book of the Hebrew Old Testament was, was 2 Chronicles. Go read your 2 Chronicles 7.14. Where if my people will call out on my name, humble themselves and repent, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Go, go ahead and live in that if Jesus hasn't resurrected. But if Jesus has resurrected, then we are not waiting on a nation to repent, or a president to rise up. We have a resurrection. Christ, the federal head of a new kingdom. I've said this before. I may make this my weekly mantra. In one way or the other, I'm going to sneak this in until you're sick of it. The federal head of our kingdom forgives you whether you accept it or not. Loves you whether you like it or not is king whether, whether you recognize his kingship or not. He's not asking you to change the world. He's asking you to be a reflection of what he's already changed in you. The world changed by Christ in you. The hope of glory. Live that out. They will come. They will come because they caught a reflection of the Father in your face. And they want to see where they might see more of that. And when they hear that it's a space where they can bring their cares and their burdens and their guilt and their shame and they can lay it at the Lord and they won't be judged for it, they can be embraced and loved and washed off and weeded and patiently allowed to be what God made them to be. Many of them will come and stay and they'll come with tears in their eyes as they lay their burdens down, as they step into that thin space between the sacred and the secular where they might catch a glimpse of Jesus. But I promise you where they will see Him is in you. You will be living out the world changed. They won't have to wait till Pastor Paul or Josiah gets up to share the word. That'll be icing on the cake because it just gets better and better. That'll be the part where they think the other shoe's about to drop. I know how church is. Oh, these people are loving, but wait till that mean preacher gets up and starts preaching people into hell. I know. I, I, I see those guys online full of rage and anger. Can't wait to preach people into hell. I don't think we believe in a resurrected Jesus. 
I think we believe he resurrected, but we don't believe in a resurrected Jesus. How many of you know there's a difference? We believe in the resurrection. I'll give it to you. I never met a preacher yet that doesn't believe Jesus resurrected. But they don't live like he's resurrected. They don't preach like he's resurrected. They don't love like he's resurrected. Because if he's resurrected, sin's in the rearview mirror. What did Paul say? If he's not resurrected, you're still in your sins. Okay, then I ask you, what would happen if he is resurrected? You're not. Forgiven whether you like it or not. Loved whether you like it or not. So fall in love with it. Would you bow your heads? Thank you, Jesus, for this group. What a precious group of people. Thank you that I feel like you just walked into the room with us in these last few moments. Not as if you weren't already here, but you took a couple extra steps and you brushed your hand across your kids and you just patted us on the back. And, you, and some of us, you put your arm around us because we needed it. And somebody else, you held onto their hand. And someone else, you swept out the deep recesses of their heart, the things they hadn't given up yet. And then they saw you and they watched your love and they realized it was safe. See, you're in a safe space to let go of the darkness. Father, I don't, I don't have any aspirations for what is outside of the walls of this garden today. I'm just thankful to be in this garden. I don't know what you're going to do outside the walls. That's up to you. What I do know is that you've given us a responsibility to clearly lay the stakes out of a space where people can grow in a resurrected Christ. I hope we've done that today. I hope we've shined a spotlight on a loving Jesus. I don't just believe you're resurrected. I believe you are resurrected. And Father, I want you to walk your resurrection out in me. I want you to walk it through my marriage and walk it through my parenting and walk it through my, my mindsets and the way I see the world. There's a lot of areas where I still need you to take my hand and walk your resurrection out. And I think it's the same for all of your children here today. And I pray whatever it is they're laying down, may they lay it down with just you. In the precious name of Jesus.